This week on Flyover from NPR News, can religion help heal what divides Americans or is it to blame? I'm Carrie Miller. Let me ask you this. If you're a person of faith, do you feel called to do more than just show up at church or mosque or synagogue? In an age where religion mixes with politics, our religious institutions get blamed for a lot. Intolerance, intransigence, even radicalization. It's enough to drive believers away, but some are channeling their faith into new kinds of action. Today, I want to hear from young people across flyover country who are making up their minds about organized religion. If, like a growing number of Americans, you're spiritual but not religious, how are your beliefs helping you make a difference in your country? Fly over after this news. I'm Carrie Miller, and this is Flyover from NPR News, a show about who we are in turbulent times. Today, how is the role of the believer changing, and what should faith communities be doing with their individual religious identities to reconcile these differences between us? As our guests join us, I want to hear from you today on this. Have you drifted away from a faith community because what they're doing at that church or mosque or synagogue feels irrelevant to the urgent issues that confront us? And I'd especially like to hear from you if you're 35 and under. What are you looking for in a spiritual community? So if you've been part of a faith community but you find yourself drifting away Is it because some of what they're doing within your faith community feels irrelevant to the urgent issues that we're confronting today? And I'd especially like to hear from you in flyover country if you're 35 and under. What are you looking for from your faith in a spiritual community? Here's the phone number, 1-83-FLYOVER-1. That's 1-833-596-8371. You can also talk to me about this on Twitter, as some of you are already doing. It's at Carrie, K-E-R-R-I-M-P-R. Use that hashtag, Flyover Radio. We're beginning today with Janan Mohajir. She's the leadership curriculum consultant at Interfaith Youth Corps and a founding board member at Heart Women and Girls. It's a group aimed at promoting sexual health among Muslim girls. And she's with us today from Chicago. And Janan, welcome. It's good to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I, I'm really eager to learn more about your background because I have to say you kind of blow up some of those frames that I think we put around Muslim uh, women. Um, is it true that it took an experience at a Catholic university to to really bring you into your Muslim faith? How, how did that happen? Yeah, absolutely. So my family are uh, immigrants. My parents are both born and raised in India and then lived as expats in the Middle Eastern country of Qatar until I was about 16. So at the age of 16, my family migrated to the suburbs of Chicago. I finished my high school in a mostly white suburban Chicago high school, uh, suburban high school, and then went to Catholic University. I went to DePaul University Mm -hmm. to do my undergraduate education. And part of the reason I went to DePaul is because I was incredibly um, interested in their devotion to um, the work that they were doing in various parts of Chicago, the various service-oriented focus that they brought to co-curricular activities for students. So one of the first things I did when I ended ended up at, at DePaul is to sign up for the service learning program and found myself in various failing schools in the inner city of Chicago as a tutor. And it's really on those journeys back to campus where I started to look around me and talk to my peers and realize that there was a various various reasons um, why people were invested in doing this. And I didn't really know why I was doing this. I came from a semi-religious, culturally Muslim family. Uh, I didn't necessarily pray at the time, but I identified as Muslim and I didn't really know if that was the reason why I was invested in um, serving my community. And that journey really took brought me back to my faith. You know, it's interesting about the way you describe that service project that you got into at college is it, it doesn't it doesn't sound like it had a specifically religious frame to it that you might have been mixing with people who had come to DePaul with all kinds of different faith traditions and doing this work together. Is that is that how it happened? 
Absolutely. So we, you know, on one of those bus rides, I remember we uh, were a group of about five and there was uh, a Hindu American young woman. There was an atheist. There was someone who identified as Catholic. And, you know, we were all kind of just talking about why we were invested in doing um, this work in Chicago, specifically in our city, um, and, and you know, sought, why we had sought out this experience in college. And it was really in that moment where I realized, you know, there's different reasons as to why people are invested in this, and I have to kind of find my own reason. And when I started asking those questions, I it, they brought me back to my own tradition. Is it true that in college you, you decided to wear the hijab, that you hadn't been doing that before? Yeah, so I didn't cover, I didn't wear hijab until um, the spring quarter of my freshman year. And uh, it was something that uh, was kind of at the, you know, both the beginning and the end in some ways for me. It was um, the end of a period of a lot of questioning where I was wondering who I was, as a lot of young people in college do often. And uh, when I sort of had this moment where I decided one of the ways that I was going to further uh, explore my own tradition is to actually commit to it in this very external, physical way, um, and then sort of find myself through that experience. So I um, decided to cover as a you know young person in college. Uh, we're getting calls from a lot of people who I think are going through the same kind of questioning that you did, Janan, and and maybe have since college. Should we should we take some calls together? Sure. That be all right. Yeah. Good. To Austin in St. Louis. Hey, Austin. Hi. And tell me a little bit about yourself. Hey there. Hi. Uh, so my name is Austin, a 31-year-old guy. I live in St. Louis. Uh-huh. Uh, moved here about seven years ago. Um, graduated from uh, seminary three years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, was a minister for several years uh, and ended up not being able to stay. Uh, and part of it is just that there's, you know, what I what I hear a lot of especially from friends and colleagues, that there's a disconnect between our faith traditions and then how that actually plays out in the world, right? So, you know, we can talk a lot about caring for one another. We can talk a lot about a community together. But when the chips are down, people still end up isolated. They end up alone. Um, You know, I'm actually, I had to pull over to the side of the road. I'm on the way to a friend's house, uh, single mom taking care of her mom. Uh, an ex-husband all the same time. She's connected to three churches uh, and nobody is helping with like food. Nobody decided to cook dinner or help with laundry. And she's working a 70 hour week. And like, there's a disconnect somewhere between, Oh man, we really care about people. Oh, but hang on, let's do that in Sunday morning or Saturday afternoon or whatever it is. And then that's the end of it. And it feels like that experience is pretty common, it did, uh, which is very frustrating. Austin, did you say you were a minister and you yeah. and you've okay and, and you've left that? Yep. Janan, yes, I mean, this is something that I get the feeling that you're thinking about a lot: how to connect the faith tradition and the interfaith uh, work that you're doing with what the community actually needs and some of the most and some of those most urgent needs. What do you hear in Austin's story? Yeah, I think Austin's story is actually not um, not unique. I think a lot of us go through um, those experiences and find ourselves in those making those decisions. Um, even to speak very personally, um, you know, I went through a similar experience not too not too many years ago, a couple of years ago, in Chicago. Uh, a few of us through the Heart Women and Girls group that you mentioned were working on a sexual abuse case against a very prominent imam here in Chicago. And it was a very difficult experience for us to kind of expose our community and um, and at the same time to hold on to our own convictions and our own commitments, um, even while pushing this way forward to help uh, find justice for these victims. So I think that's a very common experience to find yourself challenged by the community that you're part of and then to be, you know, forced to make a decision of whether you continue to struggle and continue to stay or you decide to take a different path. And I think both of those decisions are valid and true. And it really depends on your personal story and experience, um, what way you choose to go. Austin, I'm just curious if you're still there, whether you see yourself going back to some kind of organized faith community, or maybe you've, you know, you've had this experience as a minister and haven't gone through seminary and, you'll take the principles of that and and work outside of that and be okay with that. What do you think? Um, that is a fantastic question, and I really wish I had an answer for you, because there's a <laughs> lot of nights I wish I did. I'd go to bed earlier. All right. Um, it's tough. 
you know, uh, it, it would be it would be fantastic to find the kind of community we hope to find. Right. Right. Um, where we stand together and where, you know, the concerns of one are the concerns of many. And, um, you know, so often that, I, you know, I so because I was a minister, I guess, preach uh, at a fair number of churches. And what I what I find is that I go to, you know, a half dozen churches every year um, offering a sermon when somebody's out of town. And, you know, overwhelmingly, the church is concerned about, you know, did the budget pass? And it's like, well, you know, that's important, but can we talk about anything else? Can we, you know, have any conversation about this as we live in the world together? Um, yeah, a community that lives outside of an ivory tower would be very attractive. Uh, I wish I could find one. <laughs> yeah, I'm really glad you called and you heard the show. Austin, thanks so much. I, I think um, that's one of the things, Janan, that we're going to explore as the show goes on is, is a faith community basically bound together by, you know, the rules and the tenets. And I'm not saying the tenets of faith aren't important, that, you know, these principles that bind a community together are really important. But is there also some kind of higher commitment to social justice or the needs of the community beyond that? And I have a feeling we're going to hear from a lot of people who are wrestling with that. How do, how do you think about that? I think that's a really difficult question, but I think you will hear from a lot of people who are wrestling with that. For me personally, I think um, as someone who doesn't particularly have a mosque that I belong to, so my husband and I live on the south side of Chicago, uh, we are a by mixed, racially mixed family, and uh, because Chicago is uh, is an interesting city, there a lot of the mosques in Chicago are very segregated by either ethnicity or race, and we kind of find have to find this third space that um, that we kind of feel comfortable in and feel like our values are represented and the way that our family looks is represented, um, which is, you know, around this university campus at the University of Chicago. And I think that's also a reality for a lot of people is finding that space um, within your tradition, within your community. Um, maybe it doesn't have to be a formal space like a church or a mosque or a synagogue, but it can also be this other sort of third space. You're listening to Flyover, and I'm glad you've tuned in. It's a conversation today about who we are in turbulent times and how the role of the believer is changing. I'm asking whether you've drifted away from a faith community because it feels like what they're doing at that community, be that the church, the mosque, the synagogue, you know, feels kind of irrelevant to the urgent issues of the day. I'm especially asking to hear from those of you in flyover country, 35 and under, because we see a lot of research about young Americans wrestling with these ideas. one 83 flyover one It's one 3 If you get a busy signal, the lines are pretty full. Call me back. I want to hear from you. And on Twitter, at Carrie NPR, use the hashtag Fly over radio and stay with us. I know not every public radio station can play our program live, but we do want to hear from you. Join this conversation on Twitter. Use the hashtag Flyover Radio or share your experience on our live blog at flyoverradio.org. You're listening to Flyover from NPR News. I'm Carrie Miller, and this is Flyover from NPR News. It's a conversation today about the changing role of the believer and what faith communities should be doing with their individual religious identities to reconcile the differences that we see in America today. Janan Mohajir with us today. She's the leadership curriculum consultant at Interfaith Youth Corps and bringing Brian McLaren into the conversation. He's an activist and Christian leader and the author of a number of books about faith and service. And his newest book is titled The Great Spiritual Migration, How the World's Largest Religion is Seeking a Better Way 
to be Christian, and he's with us today from Santa Monica, California. And Brian, welcome. It's really good to have you on the show. Thanks for doing this. I'm happy to be here. Thanks, Kerry. So you hear us contemplating what it means to be a believer in a time of upheaval. And and I know you've thought a lot about this for your, for your newest book. And I wanted to quote something that you said in the book. We must understand the essence of our faith to be something other than a list of opinions, propositions, or statements that our group holds but cannot prove. Build out on that a little bit, will you? Sure. Well, uh, I should say I grew up uh, fundamentalist. And for in, in a fundamentalist setting, uh, beliefs, doctrines, dogma, it, that's what it's all about. Uh, as long as you hold the right beliefs, you can be a racist, you can be selfish, you can be careless about the poor, the environment, uh, but you hold the right beliefs and that's your you know, that's your carte blanche to to not only get in the religious community, but have some perks waiting for you after you die. Mm-hmm. And it, it just struck me. I got to see firsthand the unintended negative consequences of that approach. And it seems to me there are counterparts in just about everybody in, in every religion. You know, you observe the right dietary rules or the right uh, holidays or you revere the right authority figures it strikes me that what people are really looking for is a way of life. And that shift is, is I think, why a, a lot of people like Austin, who was on a few minutes ago, they, they just saw, yeah, whatever this thing is about, it's not producing a way of life that will be healing in the world. Let's go back to the calls here. A lot of people want to get in on this, too. Emily, listening in Columbus, Ohio. Hi, Emily. You're in your mid-20s, right? You're living in Ohio. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your connection. Hi. Tell me about your connection with your faith community, how you think about it. So I grew up in a small Catholic community in northwestern Ohio. I even went to Catholic high school. And then I came to Ohio State, and I got involved in a lot of progressive social activism. And then I just really didn't see what I was um, being taught in the church about um, different groups of people. and my activism, it did, they didn't really click. Um, so especially um, some faith groups that isolate members of the LGBTQ plus um, community, it just they just didn't click together anymore. And, and so what did you do? Are, are you? Um, so I, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So I kind of just felt like I like one of my missions in the world is to make the world a better place. So I've really started getting connected with the social activism and really haven't found a church community that I feel like exemplifies my morals and beliefs and then also has that community. So I haven't really um, had a church community. Janan, I I feel like when I heard you say, and this kind of surprised me, that you and your husband are not connected to a mosque, that you're you're not all that different from what Emily is telling us from Columbus here. It's the it's the it's the work that really matters to you and not so much the showing up at a specific time at a at a given place. Absolutely. And I think it's more about the values um, that we have in our family and about how we build those values through our relationships with the community that we live in. We live in, as I mentioned, near the University of Chicago, and we moved there specifically because of the growing number of Muslim families who live in that neighborhood and um, who are similar to us in the way that they think about their religion. Um, so, yeah, I think for us, it was about ideas. It was about a commitment to uh, the community that we live in. It was about a commitment to um, social justice and the way that we live it out in our professional lives and our personal lives. And that really mattered um, ultimately more and matters more even now as we raise three kids. Andrew says on Twitter, as a Catholic, my faith feels incredibly relevant, immigration, poverty, social justice. And back to the phones here to JoJo listening in Plymouth, Minnesota. How does this feel for you, JoJo? And thanks for calling in. Hey, yeah, similar to Emily, I think one of the hardest things for me is I'm also a Catholic and I'm an Mm African-American. And one of my biggest struggles has really been trying to find a Catholic community that supports and discusses Black Lives Matter and also really what's going on in the world. Because what I'm struggling with is more the churches that tend to talk about Black Lives Matters or really discussions happening on in the U.S. beyond poverty and hunger are the non-denominational African-American churches. But having been raised Catholic, to me what's important is how do I keep my faith and talk about what's going on in my community? 
Well, um, you know, Brian, I hear this. Uh, Jojo, I'm really glad you called because I hear this and I think of uh, – correct me if this is – if this is wrong, I think you talk about a malfunctioning Christianity in your yeah. in your newest book. Yes, yes. So, and this is the paradox I think we're all we're all feeling. Uh, I I was uh, invited to be in Charlottesville a few weeks ago when this uh, white supremacist neo Nazi uh, rally happened, and um, uh, some of the clergy of Charlottesville asked if other folks would come and stand with them as a witness for inclusion and a witness uh, against racism and and so on. And I I just remember uh, standing on the street corner with all these people carrying Nazi flags and Confederate flags and feeling like this is religion right here. We have people who are witnessing against this, but we have had thousands and thousands of churches that in a sense, either by their silence or actively, if we go far enough back in the past, were the chaplains of white supremacy. And uh, so, when, you know, what all of our callers are saying, that we have these urgent problems in the world, and we just wish that organized religion would get organized and would start organizing people to make a positive difference. It, it, and that, to me, is the possibility. And it is happening. It can happen. But we've got a long way to go. I, I am struck, Brian, by your use of the word silence. And I want to go back to Jojo. I mean, is that what's going on, Jojo, as you say, Hey, these are issues that really matter to me. I want to discuss the the Black Lives Matter movement, and the church has been quiet, or is the church disinterested? Or what? What's your perception of that? I think it's it's not only a disinterest, and part of it might be one. I'm in Plymouth, so I'm in a mostly white suburban neighborhood, and most of the people I'm going with are white. And I'm not going to judge and say all of them are Republicans, but a good majority of them are. Uh And bringing up that discussion is difficult. And a lot of people, at least the ones that I've talked about my church about it, are very uncomfortable and unwilling to have the discussion. And I try to bring it back to them and say, hey, if we are going to talk about being a good Christian, about helping out a fellow neighbors, we need to really think about our community extends beyond the church. You know, you can't just go to church and be a good Christian. You need to talk about, hey, that person just died. You know, we can't ignore it. Or the brutality that happened within, you know, all these different cities. It's never discussed, which to me is a big issue. So, Jojo, are you still in the church or you've left the church? I've been struggling. It's been a... um, I guess in the past two years of trying to really figure out, am I a Catholic or maybe it's time I leave the church? Maybe it's time I go to a non-denominational one and find myself somewhere where the conversations that we're having and the community engagement that we're doing is more aligned with my values. But that's difficult because the church that I'd leave to would no longer be Catholic. And mm-hmm. having my entire family be Catholic and being raised that way is a very difficult right. thing to leave and think about, you of know? Of course, of course. There's deep roots there. Janan, what, what do you hear in that? I really hear um, a struggle to kind of bring together the different parts of ourselves. And and I feel like that I, I completely relate to what JoJo is saying and have been through those questions and those um, those conversations in my own experience since I started engaging Islam more deeply in college. Um a quick personal story, which may be um, an interesting way to think about this, is uh, a few years ago I was at a speaking engagement uh, on on a campus in the South. I'm not going to identify it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was uh, with this graduate student who was kind of, you know, assigned to sort of walk me around and make sure I got to places on time. And at the end of the night, I, I took a seat with him and we were just sort of saying our goodbyes. And he confessed to me that he um, was thinking about leaving um, Christianity, although he was in seminary studying to be a minister because he had come out to his family as um, an LGBTQ person and they basically weren't welcoming of that um, on their table. And so if you can imagine a covered hijab wearing Muslim woman sitting in the hotel lobby with this young man in in a southern state convincing him that actually there was space for him in the church as an LGBTQ person and um, to connect him with some of those people that I knew in the area. And that really, to me, is one of the ways that we can be there for each other and help each other make those decisions, whatever the 
end result may be, but to kind of be resources to one another, even across lines of faith, to think about, you know, how we sort of come to the place that defines us the most and how we come to that comfortable place where we can live out our values in the way that we want to. If you've just gotten in under the show, you've just found us, turned us on, it's flyover, and we're having a conversation about what it means to be a believer in the kind of world and the political landscape and the cultural and social landscape that we're living in and and what faith communities should be doing to respond to that in an active, relevant way. So Janan Mohajir is with us. She's the leadership curriculum consultant at Interfaith Youth Corps, and she's a founding board member at Heart Women and Girls. And we're going to talk about this in a bit. It's a group aimed at promoting sexual health among Muslim girls. And then Brian McLaren is with us. He's been thinking about these issues a lot, especially in his new book. It's called The Great Spiritual Migration, How the World's Largest Religion is Seeking a Better Way to Be Christian. I'm going to grab a call here from Vanessa in Kansas City. Hi, Vanessa. Thanks for waiting. How's this conversation striking you so far? So, yeah, no, this is all very interesting stuff. Um, really brings me back to my childhood and how I grew up as a Christian and early years as a Roman Catholic. Mm-hmm. And, and um, so... I remember... I was going to ask you if you're connected to a, uh, it sounds like your phone's cutting out a little bit. I was going to ask you if you're connected to a church right now, to a faith community. So I'm not any longer. um, I was very much in my early years, did a lot of missionary work, did a lot of of promoting of the church. I really tried to focus very much on fundraising and being very active and helping as, as many people as I could. But uh, it it became very clear to me that a lot of the times the churches that I was involved with were very, very focused on handing out Bibles, handing out songs, handing out the word of the Lord, and just telling people about their church more than anything else, rather than getting out there and being active in the community. Yeah, what felt like it was missing from that, Vanessa? I, I, I've, I it, think there's... It, churches that feel like that's their role and that's important work to do? It, it really did feel like there was just sort of a disconnect, um, more like they were focused on, on more of a marketing ploy than anything. So I, I had to remove myself from it eventually once I was old enough to and, and kind of go my own way and seek out more ways to be active in the community on my own. Can I ask you how old you are, Vanessa? Are you in your mid-20s or 30s? I am 30 years old now. Okay. All right, good. Um, Good to have your call. And, Brian, I asked about this because everybody we've heard from so far is 35 and under. And I'm asking asking to hear from people that age and under because I know this is something that's really um, urgent for them. When you look at what millennials say about religion and relevance— you you do find a lot of them are really disinterested in the beliefs system and the rules, and they're impatient with the faith community's reluctance to be on the side of social justice. What what's happening in these churches that they are that they don't understand that well? Yeah, well, I mean, first it, to me, it is phenomenally encouraging to hear from these people, and I think there's a message for religious leaders in this younger folks aren't leaving the church because they want to be bad and the church is asking them to be good. They want to do good in the world. They're they're looking for avenues of making a difference, of service, of social justice, and so on. And they go to church and feel like the church is in another business. Uh, you know, the church is in the put on an hour activity or keep the budget paid or, uh, you know, focus on a set of personal, private, uh, peccadillos and and avoid the big social issues of the day. And sadly, if you ask a, a, a why this is happening, I think the the truth is that our religions are as polarized and paralyzed as our country. And uh, a lot of ministers are afraid to address issues because if they talk about poverty and social justice and LGBT equality in the environment, their 24-7 Fox News listeners will be offended. Hmm. And, and so, and if they, uh, so, so they, they walk on eggshells. 
And I think young people are smart enough to say, I've only got so many hours in my day. Uh, I want to put that time to good use and not just walk on eggshells. You know, I think about the work, Janan, that you're doing in the context of what Brian just described, you know, with your heart uh, girls and women and girls, where you're focused on sexual health for Muslim girls. And I think that um, uh, reducing teen pregnancy is something that a lot of faiths and a lot of people are interested in. Now, there may be different ways to get there, but it's an issue that a lot of people care about across different faith communities. And you're doing something that I think is a little unexpected. And I, this would seem like an opportunity to bring other people of other faiths into an effort like that. Have you seen that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so just to clarify, I, I'm on the board of Heart, so I'm not one of the people who actually goes out and does the Got trainings it. and the content work. Um, but I can speak to um, some of Heart's work in terms of their larger vision, and that is to really think about um, making you know healthy norms around sexual education, around health education, um, to definitely push back on um, or to raise awareness around gender-based violence and sexual violence. And that those are difficult conversations to have both in the context within a community and also um, with our larger sort of American community as well, because we're still struggling with that as a country, as you can see from um, Bill Cosby to Harry Weinstein to whoever else. Um, And I think there's a verse in the Quran that I really go back to when specifically talking about this issue. um, And that's a a verse that says something like, you know, stand firmly for justice as witnesses uh, for God, even if it is against yourselves and your family and your kinsmen. And I think that is the, the crux of what a lot of these young people that we are hearing on your calls today, and also those that we encounter through our work at heart, are really struggling with, which is to say, um, not only should we be involved in social justice issues and be doing good work out in the world, but when we see something within our communities that doesn't sit right or feel right, we have to also have the courage to then face that and and fix that. And that's harder to do um, sometimes than than we've seen. I have to say, I echo what Brian said here. It is super encouraging to hear from you. 35 and under, you're looking for some connection to a faith community. Maybe you've drifted away. Maybe, maybe whatever that faith community is doing doesn't feel all that relevant, but you do care about these issues. So call us today. If you get a busy signal, call us back. It's 1-83-FLY-OVER-1, especially looking to hear from you 35 and under if you're wrestling with this. Get to me on Twitter. It's at Carrie NPR, hashtag Flyover Radio. Stay with us. If you've missed some of our program, you can find it on our website, flyoverradio.org. Next week, we'll talk about health care. Is it a right or a privilege? And we'll hear from you right here next week. You're listening to Flyover from NPR News. I'm Carrie Miller, and this is Flyover Radio, and it's a conversation today about how the role of the believer is changing. Janan Mohajir is with us, Brian McLaren with us, and you calling in with your experiences about being attached to a faith community, perhaps having drifted away, what you look to that faith community for, and uh, perhaps what you're not finding, what what seems missing in that relationship. one flyover one hashtag flyover radio if you're on Twitter. Brian, just to come back to you real quick about what I was talking to Janan about is this, this work that she supports and believes in on um, accessibility to reproductive health information. I mean, this is important to a lot of Americans and a lot of young Americans, and yet those are also issues that have been deeply politicized. But I feel like it's opportunity for people of many different faiths to get involved in a in a movement like that. And yet, as I say, it's politicized. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you're absolutely right. And and this, uh, first of all, I'm so appreciative of Janan and her work and both in Interfaith Youth Corps and in this important work. It's, it's interesting how the issues related to sex and reproduction uh, 
I've heard them be referred to as weapons of mass distraction because they keep us arguing about a certain number of issues and then we miss a whole lot of others. Jesus once said of religious hypocrites that they strain at gnats and swallow camels. <laughs> and when you think about the reality of, uh, of rape, incest, huge issues, uh, many of the places in the world where HIV is spreading most rapidly. It's actually spreading through incest. And uh, you think of domestic violence and all that goes along with that. Suddenly we, we realize while church people and other religious leaders have focused on one or two issues, they've let all of these other issues go unaddressed. And I can't help but believe, I, I know this sounds cynical, I can't help but believe that this is because Political interests have seen those as useful wedge issues, mm -hmm. and they've en enlisted religious leaders knowingly or through their own uh, ignorance to become pawns in a kind of political game. I mean, when you, when you say you know that sounds cynical, but you have seen the way religion is channeled through politics. I mean, it's not only the yes. reproductive health issue, right? Yes. Sure, exactly. You're going to talk next week about health care. And you just think, I mean, if Jesus was famous for anything, it was for providing free health care. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and you think where it became for many people a matter of Catholic or Protestant orthodoxy to be sure that poor people will only have access to inferior health care and religious and rich people will have access to top-notch health care. I mean, it's absurd when you think of it from a religious, spiritual point of view. Yet, this is what has been swallowed. That's the camel that's been swallowed uh, by a lot of religious people. I have never thought about Jesus and free health care, but, but you've made me think about it anew, Brian. <laughs> uh, SJ says on Twitter, um, I lost my faith on a year mission trip. It didn't do enough to serve. What I found abroad, Jeremy says from New York, he's Jewish. He grew up in a traditional house. He's drifted away from the religion. However, he still participates in cultural events because he cares about the community. He thinks that even if God did exist, he wouldn't care about his practice of the doctrine. Interesting. Michael in St. Louis says, I'm a scientist, a feminist, and a Ph.D. student thinks that his own faith is the only thing that will make this crazy world make sense with everything going on, and to Birdie in St. Louis, Missouri. Birdie, thanks so much for waiting. What's your story with this? Okay, let me go to Sarah in St. Cloud, Minnesota. Hi, Sarah. Thank you for waiting. Hi. Hi. How does yeah, this fit no your problem. life? Go ahead. I was just calling to encourage those that um, may be drifting away that I think the church still does provide one of the few places in our world that intergenerational people come together outside of family and mm -hmm. have a conversation. And if we want to see that change from our um, organization on Sunday, we have to do it from the inside. It's not going to change with all of us leaving and not doing anything about it. Uh, we have to stay and we have to be a part of the future and we have to be a part of that change that we want to see. Um, I have two small boys that my husband and I are both 30 years old and raising our boys and want to have them have those relationships with people young and old. I don't want to go to a church with everyone that looks just like me. I want to go and learn from lots of different people. And I want to be a part of the push for the older generation to embrace some of these issues that we need to do as a faith community. Boy, that's really well said. Tell me the church that you're, the denomination that you're attached to. ELCA Lutheran. Okay. And and so you're having these kind of interfaith discussions. I mean, this is something Janan works on every day. Yes. Yeah, so we we intentionally look for a church that we can be a part of that doesn't have just young people. As much as I love to hang out with people my age, it's important to me to learn and to care for those who are older, those who are younger, and have a variety of people in our faith community. Um, thanks, Sarah, for the call. Janan, I don't think enough of that. I mean, we, we've heard, Brian knows this too, about the segregated Sunday morning thing. I, I, Sarah's having somewhat of a unique experience, as far as I can hear, about different faiths and, and the kind of interfaith dialogue that you're working on every day. Yeah, and I think those those kinds of situations are, um, you definitely find those stories, and there's lots of that happening um, here in Chicago and also around the country. Um, at Interfaith Youth Corps, our specific focus is on thinking about how that, what that looks like at 
an, uh, an institution of higher ed, um, so a college campus or a university campus. And it's definitely interesting to see the different manifestations that interfaith work can take. Um, so in a specific place, it can be very action-oriented and definitely more focused around um, an issue that's impacting the community, like illiteracy or homelessness. And in other spaces, it's more you know a space where people can come together around uh, the way that their text looks at some specific topic. Um, So it's interesting to see that. And I think one of the things that's really important um, for me personally and also for the Interfaith Youth Corps is to include that voice of the nuns, right, Mm. of of folks who identify either as agnostic or secular humanist or atheist, because the interfaith table is not complete if those voices are not on the table. Um, So that's, you know, that's what I have to say about that. Uh, Brian, I have your book uh, in front of me, and I have it open to your afterword, where you describe this experience of being on a retreat, I think it was in Arizona, uh, with with people of a with leaders from a lot of different faiths. And one of the things yes. you say is, we each came into this circle with a shared commitment to be true to our own deep religious convictions, to treat our differences as assets, not liabilities. Does that seem... I don't know, intimidating to leaders of churches who are pretty invested in what we talked about in the beginning, which is kind of the rules and the tenets of the faith and even this sense of, well, we've found the way. And if we let down that guard too much, then what happens? Yes, I think you're exactly right. Uh, I think that's the the tradition I come from. Uh, You didn't even want to dignify people of other religions uh, with uh, overt hospitality, because you you want to maintain that we're the only ones who please God, and everyone else is a problem and and uh, should straighten out and join us, you know. Uh, but here's the irony: at the, at the deepest part of all of our faith traditions, I don't know of a single exception, the call to love our neighbor comes up one way or another, and that includes our neighbor of other faiths, or as as Janan just said, people of of no explicit. A faith commitment at all. And here's the irony, and I can just about promise this. Uh, when people experience this, when they enter into the kind of work that Janan is involved with uh, and that I've experienced in so many settings, it in, enriches their spiritual life. And the irony is a religion that says we're the only legitimate form drives they're insiders away as well as outsiders. Why? And uh, I, I think because people have a moral sense. Well, first of all, they realize the people on the inside of this outfit aren't so great. <laughs> you know, we, we've got a lot of problems and, and we're flattering ourselves to make it sound like we're the solution. But I also think it's there's this sense in deep inside people. I, I personally think this comes from God that we actually need each other and that we all have something to contribute. And when we Brian, indulge in that, we find great, great uh, outcomes, I think. Janine, Brian, thank you so that. much for saying that. I that What you're saying actually um, kind of invoked this, um, this particular verse in my memory, which is um, from the Quran that says, we have created you into many nations and tribes so that you may know one another. And um, for me, really, um, as you're as you were speaking, that's honestly the the part of my tradition that pulled me back in, and that has kept yes. me there even in the face of a lot of difficulty and controversy. So thank you for saying that. You know, given what you're both saying, I'm I'm gonna. We have about um, I don't know ten minutes or so left here. I'm gonna put out a call. If you're part of a non-Christian faith faith tradition, I'd like to know whether you're in the midst of this kind of interfaith that, that Brian and Janan are doing, a non-Christian faith tradition. We've heard from a lot of people who have drifted away from Christian traditions or, or are connected to them. But if you're someone who is not part of a or, or is part of a non-Christian faith tradition, are you, are you getting into the middle of these kinds of interfaith dialogues that we're talking about? one uh, 3 will try to move you to the top and get as many calls as we can, to Samir uh, in Fresno, California. Hi, Samir. Thanks so much for waiting. Hello. Hi. Tell me a little bit about your story. Uh, well, I was born and raised as a Muslim uh-huh. male. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the person that I spoke with initially on, uh, on the phone here, I described to them that 
I am no longer uh, pursuing the Quran and uh, Islam. Uh, I do not feel that it addresses uh, who I am. Uh, I believe that the answers that were given as I was raised and as I was indoctrinated were are not sufficient. Uh, but in saying that, I'd, I'd also want to comment uh, on the author's last comment. I think that sums up uh, all religions very good. But in addition, it's just, religion is always the pursuit of a search. It's a search for a common belief in a creator, something greater than ourselves. And I think that is a futile gesture to try to get a church to move in a socially positive direction, as it's normally not the function of a church. Normally, uh, churches were all, as, as we all know, started from very, very small uh, groupings, villages, uh, townships, and the, it was more a community-based faith practice other than a we have all the answers and one of the other callers uh, spoke of that as well that uh, it's very difficult to trust a religion that states that we know it all and we have it all that we can tell you how to live and, and how to treat the other people in your family whether they're male or female Samir, um, let me do that. I just want to do this because you said something interesting and we're a little short on time. I want to go back to Brian and Janan. On, I mean, you hear Samir there, Brian, questioning whether this is truly the church's mission. He, It sounds like he's saying this is why churches fail at this. What, what would your answer to that be? Well, I'd say Samir is touching on an important thing that is an issue in every religious community I know of. And here's here's a way to say it. it. It's really the same problem that every institution has. Institutions can uh, easily become uh, – their, their mission becomes the preservation of, uh, of, of their, themselves institutionally or even uh, worse, uh, keeping religious – employees employed and well-paid. <laughs> um, but, you know, that can happen to a school, that can happen to a hospital. And every group, when that happens, they begin to disintegrate and deteriorate and people lose interest in them, which then hopefully can force them to say, what really are we here for? What really is our purpose? And that's why the young voices who've been on this conversation, I think, intuitively, that many of them have stepped away from religion because they know that there's a better purpose right. that really matters. And that, to me, is, is very, very hopeful because here's the problem. If religion doesn't fulfill those unique uh, roles to call us to the common good, to call us to becoming our best selves— uh, you know, it's not like uh, it's not like there's a long list of other organizations out there trying to help us do that. Although we might say this radio program is trying. To do that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Janan, what would you say to Samir? Yeah, I would say that um, Samir is definitely not in the minority in terms of people who are struggling with um, with their faith. I would the the response that it invokes in me is to say that I feel like I have had a lot of those questions. I have had a lot of those uh, trepidations over the last, you know, 10, 15 years of my life as someone who was engaging Islam in a very deep level. And my sort of resolve has always been to push push further and push back and look for answers. And um, and I, I don't think that one way is necessarily better than the other. What I think is important is to have conversation about what an actual diverse democracy looks like, where people can believe very different things and come from very different sets of values and sit with their differences and their commonalities. And how do you actually do the work of living together, even when you have these very deep differences that may put you in different camps. Justin says on Twitter, um, I recently discovered Baha'i faith champions social justice, gender equality, education, science, very socially conscious. And to the phones to Tulun in St. Paul. Hi, Tulun. What faith uh, community are you connected to? So I'm connected to two faiths. Uh, I'm a Hindu. I was born in a Hindu family. And then I fall, also follow the teachings of uh, the Sikh faith, which is the youngest faith uh, and uh, 
I also follow uh, meditation on a daily basis, and I am associated with uh, Science of Spirituality, which is a which is a non-denominational uh, and a global community. And I feel that uh, religion has a strong role to play. And uh, what we are taught in these uh, faiths is basically that we have to respect each religion because all religions are uh, part of the same uh, divine tree, which is uh, God. And uh, by meditation, we basically help to build community rather than creating uh, walls and uh, and i think uh, uh, having a strong faith and following the teachings of the religion helps us to connect rather than divide really good to have your call Talun. thanks so much brian are you um we've spent a, a lot of time i think in this hour hearing from people who say hey my church doesn't get it you're you're putting out a call in your book to say, wake up, religious leaders. This is this is a a path towards a new, different way to be a believer. Are churches getting it? Some are, some are, and uh, and we're in a very, very dynamic moment. The 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 pace at which people are leaving organized religion around the world is accelerating, and that's going to create a crisis. I'm I'm sad to say this, but I have to tell the truth. A lot of religious leaders won't listen unless people leave. Wow. <laughs> and, mm. and if I could offer a script, especially mm. to younger people, if they were to go to their religious leader and say, listen, I don't want to leave. I want to stay. Here's what I need. Here's what my generation needs. Here's what we need. If they were to put that out in front of those leaders so that they know if they don't fulfill that, they're going to lose more good people. Uh, I think that will help create the conditions for the changes that we need. Brian, thank you so much. Really good to have you on the show. Great to be here. Brian McLaren's book is called The Great Spiritual Migration. Janan, a real pleasure to have your your insight and your experience in the discussion. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Janan Mohajir is leadership curriculum consultant at Interfaith Youth Corps. Flyover, our producers are Marquita Fornoff, Elizabeth Shockman, and Jeff Jones. Our technical director is Veronica Rodriguez. Joffrey Wilson composed our theme music. We talk about health care next week on Flyover. And thanks for listening from NPR News.